morning, everyone. My name is Lee Grander. I serve as a pastoral resident here at Park Community Church. And this morning, I'm going to be preaching from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, you can make your way there. <clears throat> if you just walked into the church, just joined us for the first time, we have been preaching through uh, the book of Romans, rather the letter to the Roman church by the Apostle Paul, which you can find in your New Testament uh, just after the Gospels and directly after Acts. We've been preaching through uh, the letter uh, to the Roman church for about 12 weeks. And so if you feel like you may have missed a lot, don't worry. We still have upwards of 30 weeks left to go. So you came at a good time. And seriously, you've come at a good time because what's going to happen in our passage today is it's really going to round out the letter so far. As an overview... We've seen in Romans chapter 1 to 3 that all of us have rebelled against God and rightly deserve this just judgment of God. It's been said, we all have suppressed the truth, even though what, has been, what can be known about God is plain to us, we have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, animals, birds, and creeping things. And so what Paul has been doing is he's outlined in those first three chapters, there's this vast separation that has taken place between man and God because of our rebellion. What Paul's doing in chapters 3 to 5, uh, which we have seen, is that he's describing the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that no matter how unrighteous the unrighteous are, they can be made righteous through faith in Christ. There's been this big idea arcing over our text that we can be justified by faith. In other words, this vast separation can be mended and we can be redeemed. We can be brought back into a relationship with God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And also, as a side note, if you've come and you haven't seen uh, some of these or heard some of these other sermons, uh, we're recording them, thanks Isaiah, and putting them on parkcommunity.church. So if you want to go back at any point and kind of get like a refresh on where we're going, feel free to do that. I would deeply encourage you to. You know, we've taken a break from Advent and then Vision Sunday and the celebration. So we're back. We're back in Romans. Two weeks ago, Jamie preached on Romans 5, 1 to 11 the passage before mine, and he explained the benefits believers have in Christ. Peace, hope, love, a relationship with God. And today in Romans, what Paul's going to do is he's going to hit rewind. He's going to go all the way back to the vast separation, and he's going to explain why all men are in the situation where we are sinners. Why the Bible says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. And Paul will point back to Adam. And then Paul will do an amazing, worshipful comparison of Jesus and Adam. And the big idea that's going to come forth is that Adam led to the pit of death, but Jesus leads to life. Would everyone who's able please stand with me for the reading of God's word? <clears throat> Romans 5, 12 to 21 reads this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. 
Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that the sin so that as sin reigned in death grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our lord let's pray heavenly father we're so thankful as your people to be drawn into this place where we can worship your son Jesus Christ Father, we're grateful that you have spoken to us and preserved your word so that we can hear from you today, that we can talk with you and hear from you. God, that your word can change us this morning. I pray, Father, that this morning we would come and we would ask that you would help us to see reality as you describe it and not the one that we see. Father, would we see ourselves in the story that you are telling and Father, would we join you in all that you have prepared for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Again, the big idea this morning is that Adam led to the pit of death, but Jesus leads to life. In our text, Paul pointed out that everyone follows Adam or Jesus. Jesus or Adam, you've got to pick one. We follow Adam to death, or we can follow Jesus to life. A simple roadmap of where we're going today is we're going to look at the two options. The option to follow to death, the option to follow to life. And we're going to finish by asking the question, who are you following after? Who are you following after? Option one, follow to death. Look with me at verses 12 to 14. They say that through one man, sin came into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul's saying before the law of Moses, uh, sin was in the world, but it wasn't being counted. In other words, where there is no law, that Mosa uh, Mosaic law, the law given by Moses, there are no lawbreakers of that law. But Paul is saying that sin was still taking place. As a nice reminder of chapter 1 to 3, everyone since Adam has participated in sin. 
Nevertheless, this is what Paul's doing. He is focusing our attention on this point that death continued to reign during the time even when sin wasn't counted. Even over those who had not sinned like Adam. All right, what's going on here? Two things. Paul is saying that all of mankind is born into and under the reign of death because of the one man, Adam. And he's saying we are all partakers in sin. We're all partakers in sin. In our context, living in the West, this uh, might be a hard thing to grasp. Even if by virtue of it being God's word, uh, even if by virtue of it just being God's word, we should trust it, we, we still think, man, this is, this is hard. Being born into and under the reign of death, we want a choice. We think it's unfair not to have a choice. But across the world and in every time, we intuitively understand that there are things that we just don't have a choice in. For instance, no one across the world and in any time has ever chosen what family they're born into. It's just your reality. Like, you don't choose to be born into a caring or cruel family, a family of believers or atheists, a family with a history of disease or good health, family of prosperity or poverty, a family who has uh, been living in freedom or who has been oppressed by slavery. The same is true of everyone's country of origin. Across the world and in every time period, no one has ever chosen where to be born. To a free country or an oppressive one, with a president or a dictator, to a country that claims to be Christian or one that oppresses Christians. We inherit these things, and we will always in some way be identified with these things. Like we have isms from our families, and we have worldviews which are based and shaped by our place of origin. That's exactly what's happening with Adam. Maybe you know the story in Genesis chapter 1 to 3. God says he created Adam and Eve both in his, in his image. God says that Adam is humanity's forefather, and so all mankind came from him. We are inheritors of Adam by virtue of being born human and on planet Earth. But the terrible thing is that we all follow after him in death. As the story goes, God created a beautiful world for Adam and Eve to co-reign in with God. Only God said, you may surely eat of every tree, like take anything in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of that tree, for in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. The next thing they do, they eat of the fruit. Our passage says, because of Adam's sin, there was a cosmic effect on the world and all of mankind. Death entered the world through this sin, and death spread to all men because all sinned. Death began its reign. The question that I was asking myself is, how does Adam's sin affect me? Here's something that, under, that helped me understand it. Imagine instead God doesn't say, don't eat the fruit to Adam, but he says, don't jump in this pit. He says, if you go in the pit, it's really deep and you won't be able to get out of it. You'll be stuck there. But the next thing that Adam and Eve would do as following their previous actions is they jump in the pit. And so this is, this is what helps me understand. 
The pit is a place where we're separated from God. It's where death reigns. And by virtue of Adam and Eve being in the pit, when all mankind come after them, we're born into this pit. But still more, Paul says we all sin. And so in the pit, we consciously are digging deeper by orienting our, our lives around things that were never meant uh, for us to orient around. We would orient our lives around things like making ourselves comfortable and we would dig a little deeper. We would orient our lives around making a name for ourselves in the pit and dig a little deeper. We would orient our lives around pleasing others and dig a little deeper. We were never meant to orient our lives around anything or anyone other than God himself. In the pit, we look up. And we know that there has got to be more than just this. But the reality is, we have all followed after Adam. We followed to death. No matter how hard we try, we cannot escape the reign of death. We cannot escape the pit. We just keep digging a little deeper. But at the end of verse 14, Paul says Adam is a type of one who is to come. There's still hope. There may be another to follow after. The second option is to follow after uh, follow after Jesus, I'm giving it away, but follow to life. Verse 15 to 17 says, The one who came was the one man, Jesus Christ, who would bring a free gift, not a transgression that would leave humanity inheriting the reign of death. No, the free gift was for the many and would bring justification, and whoever received this gift would receive an abundance of grace and righteousness, and they would reign in life with the one man, Jesus Christ. Like, this is good news. We started off with bad news, and now we've come to good news. This good news is called the gospel. Before we go there, though, we might be wondering, what is justification? What is righteousness? And how does it help us get out of the pit, out of the country of death and the family of sinners? Justification, as Jason said when preaching about two months ago in Romans 3, 21 to 31, is law court language. It's a legal declaration of not guilty verdict. It's where someone is given a new status or unmerited favor, a grace, a, a gift of grace. The legal declaration of God in Christ was this. It was from sinner to not guilty. The new status, enemy to family. This is good news. We have an unearned favor that was a gift of righteousness, right standing before God. We have been given this in Christ. To stand before God righteously would be for him to look at you and say, this is my son, this is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. So check this out. The gospel is that Jesus descended and obeyed his father's command, unlike Adam. He descended and obeyed his father's command. He came to us in perfect 
righteousness, without sin, submitting himself to a Roman cross where, we, where he would die in our place and for our sake. On the third day, according to the scriptures, he rose from the dead. If anyone, God says, would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord and, and rose from the dead, he would be saved. Whoever believed, whoever had faith, would receive unmerited favor, this free gift, and that free gift was righteousness. Righteousness. Remember, justification is that legal declaration. Enemy, not guilty. We're innocent. We were condemned, and now we've been set free. We're no longer there, but now Jesus imputes his righteousness to us. What does that mean? <clears throat> All right, you've got to track with me here. Paul says in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, that's Adam's, much more have the grace of God and free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. What Paul is saying is that just as all mankind followed after Adam, which led to death reigning and us sinning, so much more could we follow after Jesus and receive grace. Verse 16, justification. Verse 17, righteousness. Follow to life. Through faith in Jesus, we can follow after a new representative. Through faith, we can receive Jesus' righteousness so that we can be in an intimate relationship with their creator, God. We can receive justification, grace, and righteousness. We can stand redeemed and loved by God. We can join Jesus in the reign of life. We were once part of the lineage of Adam. But Jesus invites us to something better. John 3 was ringing in my ear when I was preparing. Some of you know the Pharisee named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus in the middle of the night because he thought something was different about this Jesus. And Jesus spoke to him and he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, like many other people who hear the story, said, how can a man be born if he's old? Does he have to enter in a second time to his mother's womb? Don't picture that. Stay with me. <laughs> Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. You must be born again. And so check this out. This is how it all relates. When we were born, we were born with the inheritance of Adam. We were born into the flesh. We inherited the reign of death, the sinful nature, being separated from God. But through faith in the person and work of Jesus, we can be born again. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jew, Greek, slave, free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. When we are baptized as believers, what we are proclaiming is that we are a part of this new life. Baptism is the sign and symbol that we have been born again, that in some way we have died, that we have cut ties with Adam, and that we have been raised with Christ, that we are experiencing new life in him as we follow after him. This is good 
news. To follow after Jesus is to follow to life. But the question is, who are we following after? Throughout this whole section, Paul has been comparing Jesus and Adam. In verse 18 to 20, Paul goes nuts. Like, I, I think he's writing and he's like, oh my gosh, this is so unbelievable. Paul goes nuts in worshipful comparison of Adam and Jesus, showing that in every way, Jesus is the better Adam. Paul says, in Adam, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. In Jesus, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That is by faith. In Adam, disobedient, in his disobedience, the many were made sinners. In Jesus, obedience was the thing that made us righteous. His obedience. Paul goes back to the law and says, by the way, the whole point of the law was to expose sin so that it would increase and so that this grace would increase even more. It's a contrast. Paul finishes and he says, in Adam sin reigned in death, but Jesus, in Jesus grace reigned through righteousness leading to eternal life. There's not a comparison. But look at the slide behind me in case there was. I hope this is helpful. This is all of the differences between Adam and Jesus. This is meant to show that it's no contest. It's a landslide. Jesus comes. He brought the free gift of grace so that many could abound in this. He brought us justification. He gives righteousness. He leads us into eternal life. There is no comparison. He is the better and second Adam. He has come to give life, eternal life. In Adam, sin reigned, but in Jesus, grace reigned through righteousness. And he's calling people to himself today. Go back with me to the pit. <clears throat> when we were all there at one time, which is the great equalizer, help me say that, equalizer. It's the great equalizer. Thank you, brother and sisters. The result of Adam's sin, when we were all in the pit, the place of separation from God where death reigned, where we continued to dig deeper by orienting our lives around anything and, uh, and everything other than God, Jesus came and he said, there's a way out. There's something better. A way out of death's reign. A way out of your never-ending, always frustrating, striving for comfort, trying to make a name for yourself, pursuit of pleasing other people that leave you unsatisfied. He said there's a way out of the pit. He said there's a way to dwell again with God, the creator of heaven and earth. And in that relationship, you will be totally satisfied. Jesus said, I am the way. And the truth and the life, no man comes to the Father except through me. Jamie said a few weeks ago that Jesus is like the, uh, the, the ladder that connects us, a sinful people and a holy God, over the vast separation. And you guys, what Jesus did for us was he offered a ladder of hope. He offered us a ladder. He allowed men to torture him and throw him into the pit. And on the third day, like we heard, he rose out of it, offering men a living hope, a ladder of hope. And you know what he did after that? 
He walked down the ladder, found us, put us on his back, and walked us out of that pit. It came with a great cost. But it was a free gift to you. Repent of your sin. Stop trying to find satisfaction in the things around us and the people in front of us. Look to Jesus and believe in him. If you're in a relationship with God, you will be truly satisfied. He will bring you out of the pit and he will invite you to reign in life with him both now and for eternity. As we begin to land the plane, there are three points of application. <clears throat> First, if you're still following after Adam, not believing in Jesus, receive the free gift of grace, of righteousness, of eternal life, of fellowship with God today. It's as simple as this. Confessing, God, I've been living in a rebellious way towards you. I've been orienting my life around the things that don't satisfy me. I get it. I believe in Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, and I want to follow after him. In a little bit, we'll have deacons on the side, and if God has brought you to a point where you're ready to follow after Jesus, come tell someone so we can celebrate with you. Second, if you are stumbling and bumbling in your faith this morning, Renew your confidence in Jesus, our Savior. Check out this graph behind me on the screen. When we first believe in the gospel, believers, we, we know that the cross is what literally connects a holy God and us a sinful man. We get that. But sometimes what can happen is we can continue to go through life and we'll grow in our understanding of God's holiness. And we'll grow in our understanding of our sinfulness. But the original understanding we had of the cross at the time that we believe does not grow. It stays the same. And so what happens is there's these gaps that I hope you're seeing on the screen. There's these gaps above and below. And we start to think, man, I've got to fill those. I've got to fill those. Practically, what this looks like is we, is we say to ourselves, man, I've, I've got to fill that with some, some type of legalism. I've got to do something to dwell with a holy God. Some sort of pride. Man, I read my Bible every morning, and so I am a good Christian. I can dwell with a holy God. Moralism. We say to ourselves, man, I actually do serve refugees, and so I'm a good Christian. Or on the bottom, we can begin to feel this guilt and this shame. We say to ourselves, man, I, I, I'm truly struggling with pornography or lustful thoughts. I must be a terrible Christian. Insecurity or fear creep in. And we might say something like, if people found out how lazy I was and how impatient I am with my spouse, then they wouldn't think I was a good Christian or maybe not even a Christian at all. But hear this. There's no amount of religion or moralism, or self-justification, or pride that can make you a good Christian. The only thing that makes you a Christian is the gift of grace, justification, and righteousness that Jesus earned for you on the cross. 
The reality is that there is also no feeling of guilt, fear, shame, insecurity, or despair that can separate you from the love of God. If you've believed and you have followed after Jesus this morning, we can confidently say with Paul in Romans 8, don't worry, it'll take two months to get there, nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. Renew your confidence in Jesus, our Savior. On the cross, he has secured your inheritance into a heavenly country. Into the place of, a, of the family of God. It's this work done on our behalf by a representative that makes us rejoice. That makes us come and sing and give glory and honor to God. It's this work on our behalf, our inclusion to the family of God, that moves us to want to walk in the good works that have been planned for us. To obey Jesus because we know in that relationship we are going to experience full satisfaction an abundance of life. Finally, for the believers in the room, this is the thing that has stirred me up and what I've been thinking about all week. Continue to reign with Jesus in life. Watch this. Because the one act of righteousness by Jesus, his act of righteousness, verse 18, we who receive The free gift of righteousness. His act of righteousness brings us righteousness. And those who have received this gift reign in life. And grace, God says, reigns through righteousness. What does it mean to reign in life through Jesus. Well, it means that Jesus has acted righteously on our behalf, given us his righteousness, and now grace's reign happens through righteousness in us. What does it mean to reign with Jesus in life? It means that we are now participants in seeing grace reign. We are the light of the world, a city set on the hill. Every time we forgive, Every time we forgive someone, we participate in the reign of grace because we show God glory as he has first forgiven us. Every time we are generous, we are furthering the reign of grace because we are displaying the glory of God and his generosity to give us an abundance of grace and righteousness. Every time we take care of the widow, the orphan, and the vulnerable, We further the reign of grace because that's what Jesus has first done to us. This isn't by virtue of ourselves, but it's the Holy Spirit that's in us. The righteousness that God has placed within us, it allows us to speak life. He's given us his words to share the gospel, to participate in seeing the reign of grace spread throughout the neighborhood, the city, and the world. 
We have this extraordinary privilege, you guys, of reigning in life with Jesus, participating and showing forth the glory of God as he continues to change us by the Holy Spirit. Church, death no longer has a grip on us for those who are in Jesus Christ. Death is just now a doorway which we walk through one day to meet God face to face in heaven. We have nothing to fear, everything to give. Adam led to the pit of death, but Jesus leads to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much for drawing us to the sun this morning in worship. Father, as we've even thought through our two representatives of Adam and Jesus, we've seen that in every way, Jesus is the better Adam. He's the second Adam, the one who's come for us to give us life. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us orient our lives around you. Father, that we would walk out this, this place, these doors, and we would be encouraged that we have been called Father, all have been called to respond to the free gift of grace that Jesus accomplished for us. God, we pray that you would be glorified in the remainder of our time this morning as we respond and rejoice in you. We bless you this morning in Jesus' name.